Welcome to the first episode of this new podcast that is discussing everything you've ever wanted to know about craft beer. I'm Susan Boyle, your host, and I'm delighted to be joined by a selection of Ireland's best craft brewers to dive into the business of craft brewing in Ireland. For this episode, we have Seamus O'Hara from Carlo Brewing, Tom Cronin from Rye River Brewing Company, Onyo Hora from Connemara Brewing and Liam Tutty from Dead Centre Brewing. And more recently, beercloud.ie. You're all very welcome to the episode. I'm delighted to have you here. So our theme for today that we're talking to all of you about is really about like kind of the business of craft brewing in Ireland. And also we've been through extraordinary times. We're not over extraordinary times. We're still going through extraordinary times. So I suppose a little focus on on what you guys have all been up to for the last couple of years. And Anya, you have been on a huge adventure. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) a roller coaster adventure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, We started Connemara Brewing um, three years ago. But by the time we got the brewery back up to spec and got, we did our first brew I will never forget it. The week Leo went out in front of the building and said, and no. now we're going to close. And what we were there looking, going, oh, no, what are we going to do? Because you know? all the work that goes into getting to the point of, of getting your first brew done is, is a huge journey. Yeah. And then for this period of uncertainty to just kick off, this small thing that seemed like a cold that some people were having over in Asia, and then it's on your doorstep. Yeah, and like we didn't expect it to be so much so fast either. Mm. And like, you know, we're Connemara Brewing, we're in a great region. We wanted to focus kind of on getting tourists and locals involved. So our plan was, let's get the brewery where we need it, get started and get into the pubs. And then the pubs close their doors. And all the pubs close their doors. Like our first plan was it's all going to be keg because yeah. we had complete control in the brewery of, of brewing to kegging. Brilliant. Because we had no other packaging avenues at that time. So it was like, OK, let's let's have a quick meeting and see how we diversify here and get on with it. Wow. So, and I think also that um, I suppose that business strategy of getting um, pints into the hands of punters so that they can really taste what it is rather than having to mediate that through like a, on a shelf and, and do it differently. It's yeah. It's definitely, I, I can see how starting off, that's a great way, unless the place that you want to do that in is closed. <laughs> yeah, well, I like that idea because I felt like, you know, you can get to know your publicans. And as you said, you put a physical pint into people's hands and it's a bit more, you know, physical and you can see the punter enjoying it yeah. out and about. So, as I said, that was our number one go to to start with 100% kegs. So this is interesting because we have someone who is a publican in yeah. the room. Yeah. <laughs> so Liam um, from Dead Centre. I never described myself as a publican. I know well. <laughs> what I mean is maybe the use of a publican's licence. Yeah, well, we can absolutely relate. Mm-hmm. Like anyone who has seen our brewery, yeah. it's tiny. The, the, the entire intent of the brewery in the pub was to brew for cake, was mm-hmm. to brew for our own bar yeah. and work a very American taproom model. Amazing. Um, so... The, the, the brewery is small, but perfectly formed for what we wanted it to do, mm-hmm. which was fill kegs, sell beer at the bar, bring the kegs back in, wash them, refill them. Perfect. And Ideal. so close as well. Like, oh, you know, it's, it's the, brilliant. Why put in those difficulties of having to add transport and logistics when, you know, you can sell on site? And it just adds to the, to, to the price. Unfortunately, you have to charge at the end of it, which obviously is a concern at the moment because mm-hmm. that's in free rise. But again, we built a brewery specifically to fill kegs at a time when like, we opened the doors in the pub in February 2019. The brewery is in the pub, but the brewery didn't get signed off. We, we weren't able to operate until November. Mm-hmm. And then in March, the country closes down. Oh, so yeah, yeah it was, it was, a, it was a, a harsh blow. 
Yeah, but you reacted to that. Yeah, well, we had we had always. Well, I suppose produced, no one has a choice. We all have to react yeah, to things yeah, when it comes yeah. our way. We'd always produced cans, so mm-hmm. we had cans in market already um, that we were having contract brewed, and all our canned volume is still not brewed in the pub. It's just that the volume wouldn't wouldn't be possible yeah. in the pub. So um, yeah, we the, the can started to do quite well. Um, we secured some really good distribution partners in the west and in the east, and uh, things went quite well that way. And then obviously. We, we launched Beer Cloud as well, which was kind of a just a, a knee-jerk reaction, to be honest with you. But look, it, it kept us busy. It kept people in jobs, which was a huge concern for me. Um, you know, people left very good jobs to join Dead Centre and then the world went upside down. Yeah. So. Um, I also think it's interesting because I talked to you early on in, in, in the Beer Cloud um, journey. Um, and what was really nice was on the ground, I was hearing from other craft brewers. They were talking about how brilliant it was to have someone who knew the industry, who had found a solution to that distribution aspect of getting the cans and the bottles that were being produced by people into punters' hands when the other avenues were closed. And also that um, there was a general feeling that it increased people's opportunity to try new things. Because if you're filling a box of delicious beers and you're like, well, I'm used to this one, but maybe I'll try something else. And your ability to connect with other craft brewers to do that, because you had those connections in the industry anyway, seemed really beneficial. Yeah, and and, and to be fair, we made a lot more. Like we, we stocked Connemara, having never met any of the guys in Connemara That's because amazing. the timing was, was that kind of a way. But um, no, it's, look, it worked really well. It, again, it kept people busy. And my main thing is keeping people employed. If I can keep giving people checks, yeah. I'm happy, you know. So that, that helped a lot of people during COVID. So that even even aside from the brewers, which is obviously important to keep the guys employed was was a, mm-hmm. a big win. Well, then I suppose talking to the other um, people who are around our lovely our lovely table today, um, that kind of aspect, I'd love to throw it out to you, Tom, as well, that idea of, of getting getting beer to people, you know, finding another way. Because your, your brand in, in um, Rye River have done that very successfully um, to kind of break out from the idea that there's, a, I think, sometimes this feeling that, um, that the, the taps on people's bars that we're familiar with um, are the same offerings a lot of the time. So it's really interesting to see, well, what are the other ways of, of getting people to try try these beers that are being brewed that are really interesting? Yeah, um, I suppose I, I've come from the drinks industry. So mm-hmm. I, I've had the experience of bigger brand beers yeah. nine years now uh, living the craft dream. Um, <laughs> and, you know, very fortunate to have come on a, a brilliant journey that has had serious lows and serious highs, mm-hmm. you know, and that's well documented. Um, our strategy has always been to make an everyday craft beer that's credible, um, that has massive consistency, you know, um, and that oozes with as much quality as we can put into the craft um, and, and get it into the hands of major retailers and build that relationship. And uh, and and that's been, I suppose, our preferred route to market. Ninety percent of our beer is done in retail. Ten yep. percent um, is on premise, on trade. That's a very challenging market yeah. for any of us around the room, no matter how big or, or, or new your brand is um, competing uh, on, on, on tap in, in, in the environment that we're in where the big guys are, are, are going after market share very aggressively. But that's the nature of where we play. And that's why possibly Roy River is 90% retail, 10% uh, on trade, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, also availed of Liam's service in, 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 in lockdown in uh, Beer Cloud and, and what a brilliant pivot. But we were less reliant because we had our brands on shelf at mm-hmm. the time, McArgill's, Solus Grafters and Crafty Brewing Company. And, and we can all look back. And I remember in March when COVID hit, you know, our world fell apart like most other people. Uh, and to Liam's point, 
our core job was to try, my core job was to keep people gainfully employed. You know, we had delivery guys, we do some direct to customer. Uh, we had, um, uh, we have guys that only service the on-premise, their role is sales. Um, I'm sure Seamus is the same. And, and our goal was, okay, what can we do to keep these people gainfully employed? Um, and and we managed to do that by pivoting. So um, some of them back into retail uh, to service that channels. Uh, others came into the brewery. Uh, and fortunately, as COVID came uh, and moved on, we all realized that retail had a real relevance and, and online had a real relevance. And uh, and it definitely allowed us survive um, and, and get out there, you know, uh, and grow market share for the category. Yeah. Let's not forget that, you know. So I think that's really important because it's still the craft sector is still such a small sector of the overall beer sector. So when we find a way of getting getting just these delicious beers into people's hands, however that happens, and and not to be trying to look for the silver lining in a pandemic because that's ridiculous, but it does offer a huge shift and a shift in the way people are thinking. So people, I think people became more aware that how important something is that's local and that it does have a knock-on effect on the actual jobs of the people who are in, in the community and in the area. Yeah, we definitely saw that, you know, and like, you know, from the, we were only starting out and to keep going was our, was mm-hmm. a, so as you said there, Tom, pivot was exactly what we all had to do, I think, you know, so we went straight to can, but yeah. like that just, I think looking for silver linings in COVID is what kept me going, at least in the business <laughs> going, and that is that local went back to sourcing locally. Mm-hmm. You know, our flagship brand would be a lager. Yeah. A few years ago, it would be like, oh, why is a craft beer, why is craft beer lager? You know, it wasn't popular. Whereas mm-hmm. now they're like, oh, if I can shift away from a foreign lager, well, I think I'll go for something local. Thinking you know? about um, Seamus, who is also here, um, and the choice of O'Hara's beers and talking about classic styles of beers and, and the huge success of O'Hara's stout. I love when I can go other places and I can get your stout in another country. I just get such a buzz out of it. Yeah, me too. I, I, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> like, give me more of that, please. I know uh, what it's taken to get it there. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and so that aspect, like the, I suppose the export market as well in relation to how that was affected um, during it. How, what were your insights in relation to that? Yeah, I suppose, like, you know, we had similar experience to the other guys in the domestic market. Um, and we, like, we would have had quite a focus on on trade, mm-hmm. but luckily we, we had also had good coverage in retail. So that did, you know, after initially kind of not knowing what was going to happen, you know, the retail kind of, kind of ramped up and we, you know, then had a lot of pressure on our, on our bottling line. But mm-hmm. we, like, we were in the middle of making a decision to put in a canning line as well, just at the start of COVID. And we kind of scratched our heads a bit about it, but we, we, we decided to stay going on it. Um, and, you know, that came on stream sort of, it was early 2021, I guess, when that, you know, was, was kind of up and running. But that was kind of good timing as well. It gave us, you know, capacity for packaged mm-hmm. beer, I suppose, when the demand was shooting up because I suppose we saw the same thing to, to a large extent on the, on the export markets. You know, different distributors that we have abroad, uh, I suppose, adopted differently, but they were all adopting to the loss of their you know, yeah. on trade. And, on trade. And, and, you know, in, in some markets, we were probably mostly doing on trade. Yeah. Um, but it, it sort of led to a bit of an acceleration of, because, you know, when you go out to export markets, an unknown brand can't suddenly go into a retail chain or something because... No, they won't have any sits. traction. Yeah, on so house. often you kind of lead with on trade and try and, you know, develop some, some presence f- for your brand. But I think we saw probably some acceleration of moving our products into, into retail or into off-trade opportunities. Um and, you know, so that kind of, again, uh, I suppose we, you know, in pretty much all our export markets, you know, after an initial dip, we saw them all kind of 
building back up. Most of yeah. our customers, you know, found a way to stay going and, you know, we were kind of part part of it. Good. It's also worth noting how incredibly significant it was for the Irish craft beer market that this happened, that everything, like everything turned over in March of all months, like if it had happened in January, you know? That was, that was yeah, I was going to, that was a big problem for export because literally, okay, domestic, I think, closed just before St. Patrick's was a problem, mm. but like for Irish food or beverage companies in export, St. Patrick's is huge as well. Six weeks before so, that, 12 weeks before yeah. that, you're, you're planning for so long. But a lot of us had product shipped, if you like, for events and things, you know, you know, in different different countries. And, you know, a lot of that basically didn't happen. So it was a bit of a, <laughs> the timing was, yeah, terrible. Even domestically, Susan, I think, you know, when, when we all pivoted and we all survived, and I think we can look back and go that we were one of the more fortunate industries within mm-hmm. COVID, you know, call a spade a spade, market share, group yeah. for craft, more people engaged, more people bought beer through platforms like uh, Liam's, mm-hmm. um, more people bought beer off our shelves. Um, and but the other side of it is we had a lot of product ready for marketing on-premise. Yeah. And as Seamus said, an export that had to be decanted, that uh, no support came from. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm very um, grateful for what the government did mm-hmm. uh, for you know what they could within the industry. But we were deemed essential service. And I think that we harboured an awful lot of costs through COVID. What yeah. kept us going was growing market share and growing sales. And I think the government need to really look at the current climate mm-hmm. and not forget the essential service providers like ourselves, because while it's great to give, and I'm pivoting here a little, while it's great to give, and I, I, I absolutely welcome it, anything that can be done for hard-pressed individuals, if you don't keep SMEs in business, there is no gainful employment and the crisis gets a lot worse. So in hindsight, we survived and we did well and market share grew. Uh, it's certainly been a curveball since and I think a bigger curveball in the last uh, 12 months. Uh, now it's a case of the government stepping back in and not forgetting the SMEs. I would hope that there would be a re-understanding of how important SMEs are because you're all small businesses, you're all based in your communities mm-hmm. and it's been fascinating to hear all of you talk about the primary concern being how am I going to keep this business going for the people whose livelihoods depend on it. Also growing this industry that, that like to have someone like Seamus here in the room who was at the beginning of going, oh look, look this is a great thing, we need to be doing more of that here, you know, and, and all you know, with your international experience as well, that, you know, to see that happening at home is is a wonderful thing because there's so many rich beer cultures in, in other parts of the world that and we have a reputation internationally for having a very rich beer culture. Um, but seeing it on the ground is something that that is still a work in progress, I suppose. Yeah, no, it, it continues work in progress. And uh, I think now our challenge is how do we grow the category again? Because uh, I'm sure we'll discuss it today, but MUP, which should yes. provide assistance in time, has certainly sent shockwaves. You know, mm-hmm. retail is down 28% in beer this year. Craft yeah. beer is down 25%. 71% of beer sold in retail is from 10 breweries. And that's not just uh, O'Hara's and ourselves that are fortunate enough to be in that mix, yeah. but other international breweries. So it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a very challenging <laughs> place to be. But our, our goal is to grow market share. You know, the US is heading towards a 20% market share in the next two or three years. Mm-hmm. There seems to be a resurgence back in craft beer. I mean, Seamus is around 25, 26 years at this and has seen it all. You know, I'm, I'm nine years and I've seen a lot more than I ever <laughs> hoped for. Yeah. It's been a lot but, of change. But we're, we're probably stagnated around 3.2% market share, yeah. you know, and, and you have to question, is that enough market share domestically to sustain all the jobs that we all want yeah. to sustain? The answer is no. 
Yeah, you know? I sometimes just do the maths in my head about how many people live on this little country. And you start yeah, yeah. cutting out the number of people who are adults who are um, consuming alcohol and then the number of those adults who are interested in drinking beer. And then you bring it down to the number of breweries that are in the country. And it's like it's it's a terrifyingly low Number and and we've been trying, I think, to push that over that four percent for so long. Um, and I suppose the question is really then what what do you think needs to happen? Because you're all making great beers, so we've got that we've got that problem solved. What's what's the next thing? Yeah, look, I think one of the things, you know, even after twenty five, twenty six years, it's <laughs> uh, like I think it's still a fledgling sector yeah. that yeah. needs nurturing and support. Oh, and like it, it, it can be frustrating that you know, some of the developments that happen, you know, like the Alcohol Act and MUP and, you know, there's some things coming out of the tracks in terms of labelling and uh, deposit systems. Um, And I think, you know, because it's a small sector, our voice is is not strong or or loud or, you know, so often maybe it's not heard in terms of some of the the decisions that get made around some of these things. Like, I think, you know, MUP and, and, you know, the multi-buy, the ban on that, like that had a yeah. disproportionate, um, yeah, sorry, the multi-buy had a disproportionate effect on craft breweries because yeah. a lot of people like to mix and match. Yeah, mix yeah, and match. Yeah. 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 And like, so I think sometimes the, the, the inadvertent consequences of some of these things uh, mm. is maybe not recognised up front, but, um, you know, but as a, you know, trying to kind of, I suppose, get her, get her, get heard or get her voice out there. You know, it's often small when you're all busy <laughs> doing no. your everyday work. Of course. And to try and participate in that debate is, is probably hard, you know. And I know you're heavily involved in yeah. um, promoting the education around brewing and, and distilling as well and, and your connection with um, the University in Carlo. You know, we try to support anything we think is going to be positive mm-hmm. for the sector. We try to support it. I think we probably all do. Um, but obviously, you know, we're, like we're small, we're busy. We're, of course. you know, trying to advance your business. Um so, um, but look, you know, having kind of skilled staff, you know, going back, uh, you know, a number of years, there wasn't really any track for people to kind of formally get an education yeah. in, in, in brewing or distilling. So other than maybe doing a, a dairy degree and adopting or, <laughs> or whatever. Or a biotechnology uh, degree. Yeah. Technology, yeah, as Sonia did. And as I did back in, yeah. back in the day. But, these, little, these little microbes, yeah. the really interesting ones called yeah. yeast. So, but look, I know what it's, it's, it's great to see, you know, kind of dedicated courses, you know, emerging. And I suppose we try to work with them a bit as well to try and give people practical experience. Because yeah. I think that's, the academic bit is great and people get their technical training, but getting out and, and having some kind of hands-on experience, either either home brewing or, you know, actually getting yeah. the chance to, to work in the brewery on, on some of the placements. So we try to support that as well. So getting people to understand that this is, this is a homegrown industry is, I think, really important. I think a little bit of, uh, um, you know, Education goes a long way, though. I always find that even if you do a beer dinner or mm-hmm. you bring in a tour of, you know, not not foreign tourists, like local tourists, and you take them through the process and you give them a tasting, you have them hooked. Yeah. You know, you've mm-hmm. given them something that they're like, oh, look, I've learned a little bit. And then you find they go out and they're, they're a brand ambassador for yeah. you. Like, But it is, like, like Seamus said, we're all busy. You know, growing is a devotion, <laughs> you know, that you have to love. Um, but... It's so important that we take that time to do it. And I think that will go a long way as well in changing maybe the culture of the, like, you know, the younger generations coming up, obviously the over 18 generations. Well, you know. I, I think there's a, a natural change coming with lifestyle. And, you know, I've been banding on for a good few years about savouring the moment, you know, drink less, drink better. I think that's certainly come to the fore. And you look at that new generation coming through who are I think more health conscious I think they are ones and MUP this is where MUP possibly will help us yes. right it just needs a settling time yeah. but well, what MUP did was it bridged a gap between uh, a product that was 24 for 24 10 times a year or 24 mm-hmm. for 20 
uh, versus our everyday pricing, which we need, you know. Um, and it's it's not that craft beer is priced higher for more margin. It's because our process is so more. different. Yeah. We manually handle 25 kg bags in Rye River. We have a 2,500 litre um, tank or uh, um, brew house. We brew you know, 24-7, and that requires 14 brewers. I don't brew in 20,000 hectolitre batches like someone uh, down Else. on the Keys, right? <laughs> and, and that's it in a nutshell, you know. Yeah. But uh, what MEP has done, and I'm not labouring on it, is that it actually took people out of beer initially in the mm-hmm. first few months. A, maybe there was a massive stockpiling going on, but B, it certainly sent shockwaves. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, the uh, unintended consequence of a decision where I don't believe we were engaged enough in, in the process. We lost, firstly, our match three, four and four, four, which was a massive competitive advantage tool for us in the yeah, craft like beer industry, that mix and match. Yeah. Where and part of the education as well. Uh, and part of it and trialing. And, and different things, and, yeah. you know, which was... So we've just had one hit after another and we're continuing. I think that's the resilience of the craft mm. beer community in Ireland. You know, the fact that we have a, a, a newbie at three years, you know. Yay. It's brilliant to see the confidence, you know, <laughs> it, it, within the sector because we are playing in a small um, market share. Um, there is a lot of us out there and uh, and yet you have the confidence to, to to get involved, you know, so it's brilliant. Tom said that the two brewings are so very different and I don't think ge- the general public realises just how different it is. And like, fortunately, I ha- worked in, in Melbourne in a 4,000 hectolitre a year brew house. So it was a dual system brew house that did 1,100 hectolitres every hour, 45 minutes. Oh, wow. It's a juggernaut. You make mother worts of high gravity that you fix at the end building mm-hmm. before it goes out the door. It's it's fascinating in its own way, but it's not brewing like what we all do sitting around this table. Mm-hmm. And people don't understand those differences enough, I don't think either. You know, that when we start to brew in the morning, we're physically and mentally, you know, <laughs> rewarded in that Absolutely. day for the work we're doing. You know, it's it's all very hands on. It's a very different machine to what some of the other players in the market are doing. And that's that's where our prices have to come in differently. We're narrower margins. You know, we it's that's where I think we have to get that that education across that. Yes, we both make alcoholic products, but in very, very different ways with very, very different costings. And, you know, I I feel like it's I feel feel kind of like it's moving in a direction that food has already gone. Okay, I think people now understand you can go and buy a slice pan for X amount Mm -hmm. or you can go and support a local artisan baker. But you pay you pay a premium for that. And I think that's been fairly well documented in food it's it you know food really took that that kind of foodie uh, approach early mm-hmm. and people wanted to support local and support high quality whereas it seems to be just we're a couple of steps behind on that front in in beer but i do feel that people are are finally getting on that bandwagon yeah i think so i i would hope so too yeah. i think Seamus. i think the fact that i mean i always think about the same comparison with food and how 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 can they do it and we but i, I think the fact that Alcohol is, is such a regulated sector. Has been an impediment to that because you have to go through, you know, you have to go through licensed premises, for example. So I think at one end is the consumer, and I think there's an appetite for what we do, the same as it is for food. But we have to kind of navigate our way through kind of bottlenecks yeah, on the way that we don't. More barriers for the customer. There's more barriers, yeah. so we can't go rock up to a farmer's market on a Sunday morning and and do, yeah, have educate people, people through seeing the choice, enjoying the taste, and 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 what have you, you know. So it's. Um, and, you know, until recently we couldn't sell out our own brewery. So, you know, thankfully, even though it's not a straightforward piece of legislation, you know, there's some opportunity to, to do that now. But 
it you know but you know that chance to get in front of the consumer and and you know the education that comes out of that in terms of the, the difference in the products because they, you have to actually sometimes you can talk about it but you really have to taste, have to taste the it. difference. Yeah, yeah. I'll people you have to taste it. You know whoever's craft beer product, but that's that's how you know what we're talking about. I think this is why Liam's um, in Jed Centre. The model of having um, a brew pub is really interesting because not even just for you for the beers that you're producing, but I think for the sector in general. Um, I think that's a really good move to be able to get different beers into people's hands. Yeah, like we have, obviously we see all kinds of everybody. It's strange. It's definitely the uh, the demographic we expected to cross the door is not the demographic we get. You know, mm-hmm. we get... Uh, Are there not uh, enough people with beers and tattoos for your life? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Way too many. Not enough beards. Not enough beards. Uh, I know, but but like we had, we had always kind of said male-orientated, probably 35 plus, mm-hmm. you know, young professionals. Um, but it's not. It's 18 to 80 and it's majority female. Yeah. But I think the difference is, yes, we have the brewery, but we also have award-winning food and just a, fab- a, a lovely setting. Lovely so setting. a lot of people come, like come just, there yeah. for that. Uh, and it's people are far more open to be educated that way and it's easier to kind of get inside the mindset Mm -hmm. of what it is, what they drink, you know, because we don't carry many macro beers. Um, Our first question to nearly everybody is, what would you normally drink? Mm -hmm. And then we can give them something that because, and it's an example I always use where you could have somebody who has been a Guinness drinker for 40 years and they say, I don't like that craft beer. My nephew gave me an IPA. But that's not like with like. And there has to be, as as we mentioned before, there's a bridge, there's a beer for everybody. Mm-hmm. But it's about finding the bridge that's going to get them to where they want to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so if we, you know, if somebody asks us for a macro stout, there'll be no problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's settling. Try this. It's made 45 minutes up the road and, you know, it's from wherever, Bagnellstown or Glasnevin or Selbridge or, Such you know. Such a great so offering. A, yeah, yeah. So it's, it, that way is great, but... The, uh, the realistically the size of the pool of people that we're talking to is tiny mm-hmm. so it's it's about widening that pool and educating more people which is is difficult yeah well that's why it's important that you know it's great that um you know operators of pubs you know many are you know starting to offer a wider range of craft beers and maybe some of the changing of the guard or the generation mm-hmm. in 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 non-trade in particular you know can be kind of helpful in that regard but um but yeah, there's only so much, and like you know, we we have tried to do the same thing with Brewery Corner and, and yeah. Kenny and Urban Brewing because we felt you know we have to lead the way a little bit if we're going to say you can have a bar and and you know with craft and speciality beers, um, you kind of have to sh- you know sh- yeah, and in Urban Brewing well. the the food aspect is so important to that, like having incredibly high quality food that pairs incredibly well with with your beers is just always a joy. Yeah, well, look, great, 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 yeah, thank, you know, that's great to hear. Um, like a, a lot of hard work goes down by the team down there to of do course. that so it's nice to have the, to have the feedback but, but look that, that's what, what we're trying to achieve I suppose is show that you know there's you know you can enjoy a nice beer with nice food it doesn't have to be wine it doesn't have to you know um, and you know and it does a consumer for that and a market for that and it's all you know it's a wide demographic and uh, you know hopefully more and more people out there in, in the trade because that's like we have to sell through the trade you know kind of kind of recognise that I suppose bringing that out as well, like just looking for different offerings and different um, styles of beer as well is interesting. I'm eyeing, eyeing up Tom's very nice 750ml <laughs> bottles here with the cork and cage on the top. Yeah, so there's, again, it's understanding your audience. You know, we, we play an everyday craft. That's where 99% of our business yeah. is done, uh, be it in our crafty brewing range, in craft Solus or our core range, Rye River. Yeah. But to your point, Liam, you know, we bring people in at red ales maybe and then they gravitate onto a pale ale, IPAs or stouts and Seamus's case here as well, um, our session IPAs. And you have to bring them on a journey because you can't go from 
drinking mainstream lager into drinking a 750 mil you know, barrel-aged uh, seven months uh, doppelbock. It yeah. doesn't happen because <laughs> what's the reaction going to be? Oh, my God. Shock. You know, shock. Whereas if you can bring people into the category and mature them through that category over a period of time, and I think patience is also required within what we're trying to do here. It's not going to happen overnight. You know, we give us stats on the states, but they're 25 years ahead of us. Yeah. He's probably yeah, more have. versed in this than I am. But he, again, has seen the category grow from zero in Ireland when... O'Hara's was probably the first we the first famous to go. Well, yeah, we around probably, the same like Porterhouse and yeah, Fran Porterhouse, and, yeah, yeah, Ali and yourself really and a few, you know, the the yeah. forefathers of it, you know, and uh, and and now to be three point four, but that's taken twenty five years, you know. So we all have to be patient and keep chipping away at it, and education, 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 and along the way, what's really important for the sector is that quality and consistency, and everyone means to do it well. But unfortunately, not everyone does it well. And, you know, I I can be criticised for saying that at times, but that's the reality of it because there's so many variables in brewing and uh, I'm not a brewer. But, um, you know, our job is to keep chipping away at it and it'll it'll come, you know. I'm I'm only back in Ireland eight years, so only eight years back into the Irish scene. But I really do think that us as, you know, small brewers, craft brewers, local brewers, however you want to organise the section, we have learned as well that we can't just introduce what we might want to drink ourselves as brewers that, mm. you know, want something way out there like that. You know, I think maybe at the beginning, you know, there was an awful lot of I've homebrewed this thing with with like 150 IBUs. Would you like to drink yeah. it? You know, I think we're also learning that we have to be a bit more approachable mm. in how we brew our beers as well for everyone to get them across the road, you know, yeah. from from the big from the big houses to say, come on over here. We've something easy to drink that's always going to taste the same. You know, and I think we've like I see a big evolving in the industry on our side as well that we're learning that that you know it like you said it is a journey, but there's we have to start with knowing that people are used to drinking you know beer made for consumption rather mm. than taste. But beer is for drinking. Yeah. Like at the end yeah. of the day, yeah. <laughs> sometimes I do. I do a lot of beer tasting, and beer tasting is not as much fun, and beer judging is not as much fun as beer drinking. Mm-hmm. I suppose, like as, as Irish people as well, we, we drink in a certain way. Yeah, you know, like a pint. Yeah, you know. So you know, whereas in Belgium, you're more an expert. In that. No. You know, it's a stronger beer. It's, you know, but it's consumed in a different way. There's a different culture about it. So like our bar culture, and I suppose you know the way our beer culture to the extent of how we drink beer mm-hmm. is at a certain place and. If 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 something is you know way too strong or way t- in terms of alcohol or flavour, it, it doesn't naturally fit in there on day one anyway. So yeah. it's like there is a kind of a step by step. Well, this is what's interesting when you look at different de- demographics that are um, are enjoying craft beer. And I'm thinking back to Liam's point about how women are walking in the door. <laughs> I can imagine, imagine that, and they want to drink beer. Who'd have thought it? Isn't that? <laughs> and I always think that um, really maybe it's it's some of that culture that that we might need to combat Seamus mm. that like sure we're all lads and we're out watching sports and we're drinking rounds of pints um, and and maybe creating slightly different moments or choices or just seeing that you can do it a different way will open that up because if we want to grow this sector we you, we can't keep selling beer to the same people no, who are sure. just drinking but it that's now. where you're starting from exactly so exactly it's, it's and that's why the work that you're doing with like the the beer and food matching and urban brewing and bringing things back to um to the 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 on trade experience yeah. too is and we can do Smaller, really gla- you know, we can do smaller serves and whatever. Absolutely, you. but you know, to get that out into you look and for retail and for 
off, off trade, you know, people mm-hmm. you can do that when they have a beer at home. But when you get into the on trade and trying to adopt to the way it currently is and somehow advance this industry mm-hmm. or, you know, this sector, the craft sector into the on trade, there's, there's a lot of, um, I suppose, set ways of, of, of doing things, which, you know, you're not going to change overnight. No, you're not. You're not. But little by little, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. And I think like, yeah, we 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 around the table are maybe the last generation of that culture that there is, the change has started. Oh, yeah. mm. I find a lot of the younger people that I'd be engaging with, they've they've already looked into your business. Yeah. They know about you. They know about your business. <laughs> Googled you. Yeah, you've been Googled. <laughs> but, you know, they're interested in how you do your work, not just what you're putting in front of them in a glass as well, which really helps us yeah. as a sector. And I suppose looking then at the future or the developments, um, and we've been talking through the journeys that you've all been through, but like next steps or like, I know, like on a, on a, in a time like this, how, how would we ever know? But um, do you have any kind of thoughts about, you know, where things might be going or what might be of interest to craft, new craft drinkers? Well, being the newbie at the table, <laughs> um, we are noticing a change in the pub, like the publicans culture, mm. you know, we're still out knocking on doors going, hi, we're new. But there's an, uh, a lot more positive reaction Super. that, yes, we will, we're, we will try your beer. It's, it's new. It's an interesting story and it's local, you know, and there's not many breweries very West at the moment. Um, we hope that will change, <laughs> you know, but so that's really positive. You know, it's a slow turning ship. But at least they're willing to try. And that's what we're finding around Connemara and Galway, because that's what we're focusing on at the moment. But, you know, if we could see that happening in that's the really pubs, good. it's yeah. really positive. It is positive. It gives you hope. It's why you want to keep going. So you it's know? like publicans are small business owners as well. Like, so they're looking at what sets them apart from other places as well, you know. And I think what's also acting as a catalyst is the nature of the Irish pub scene. OK. So we're not the same pub scene we were 10 years ago. You go to Atlone, great tourist town. Mm-hmm. Liam is right in the middle, down by the Shannon. You know, I don't know what demographic of the 18 to 80 year olds are tourists, mm-hmm. but I'm assuming, you know, with the dollar the way it is at the moment, you know, yeah. urban brewing the same. You go to the West, you know, the Wild Atlantic Way. That habitual, I'm out five nights a week at the pub drinking six pints of, you know, uh, mainstream brands. That's no longer the case. So point of differentiation is craft, yeah. you know, telling the local story. You know, telling uh, and the consumer that's coming in is expecting something different. Yes, they all want, uh, you know, a pint of Guinness, right? Why wouldn't they? But they don't all want a pint of Heineken or Carlsberg or any of the other mainstream brands that have such a market share dominance for years. Mm -hmm. And I think that is our opportunity. It's probably, I would say, less challenging as you get out of the urban centres because of, you know, everyone wants to sell as much beer as possible. And where you do that is in urban centres. So. I'm not saying it's easy to get a tap anywhere, but it's probably a little easier the further out you go from um, the major cities, mm-hmm. you know. But that's the opportunity. So that's how you do it. But it's patience and it's, 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 and then the education that has to go with it because a tap in a counter, you know, is not going to sell beer for you. It's, yeah. it's the digital and Liam is a great man behind the scenes and digital, but it's, it's how you tell your story with limited budgets because we can't all do billboards and bus shelters nope. and, you know. It's but we are consumer. doing a podcast. We are doing a podcast, <laughs> yes. Uh, and budget is, is, is a, a great point. Like we had a conversation on the walk here. You know, if we could give what other people are given, it would be a very different landscape. But we can't afford to do 
what big breweries are doing and uh, and it really it sets us at a disadvantage I would say an unfair disadvantage but again if you decide to play rain in the football and then complain about getting wet yeah, you know, yeah. play football in the rain rather and then complain <laughs> about getting wet we knew what we were getting into and we knew these guys were going to we knew how they how they played their cards but when you see it firsthand, it's it, it can be torturous I, I look at uh, and I think you you get very tenacious in the industry because every euro has to work mm. so much harder than uh, a euro in maybe other industries or big beer. And we did a full branch transition this year on what would be seen as not even shoestring, you know, in, in comparison to any mainstream. I mean, you know, we did, in essence, what Snickers did to Martin or Opal Fruits did to Starburst. You yeah, know, we you did, did with McGargus Dry River. And we, we did that on a budget of, we had 30,000 euro to tell that story. So, like, I have no problem sharing that. That's the nature of the craft brewing industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and has it worked? It's working. Yeah, we're seeing it. The consumer is moving. But the best use of that resource is podcasts like yeah. this. You know, uh, um, it is uh, targeted digital media campaigns, but it has to be digital media. Even mm-hmm. print press has gone too expensive for the likes of It doesn't uh, have the industry. reach either. And it doesn't have the reach because that consumer we've just spent 20 minutes talking about <laughs> that are now hopefully the new future for craft brewing, they're not reading digital. And they're not no. looking at the TV. But they hopefully are listening to this podcast on their way to <laughs> work in the morning. Yeah, so <laughs> I think, you know, the good news is like we do have three and a half percent out of the market. Like there's, yeah. there's quite, a, quite a vibrant scene. There's a lot of setbacks the last couple of years. It's still quite challenging at the moment. You know, but I'm pretty sure, you know, we'll come out of this. And in terms of the customer engagement, if we're all doing it, so collectively, as opposed to, you know, one or two breweries like 20 years ago, you know, I'd be pretty optimistic that we'll, we'll come out of this strong. And I think the more we work together in getting that message out and, and the educational bit and trying to increase the loudness of our voice in various lobbies, I think that will see us to a positive future. And on that positive note, I think we'll wrap up, which seems like a great time. Just a huge thank you to Anya, to Seamus, to Liam and to Tom for joining us um, on this episode of our, our first brand new podcast here. I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation with other um, brewers and, and craft breweries. But thank you very much for joining us today. On behalf of the Independent Craft Brewers of Ireland and Board Bia, I'd just like to thank all our guests for joining us today. And also to advise you to tune in to our next episode where we will be discussing the importance of place and provenance and community to Irish craft brewing.